All right, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Stick a Fork in It, the official podcast of Beating Tampa Bay. My name is Ev Malcolm. I'm the engineer for the show, and I'm here with our two hosts, Matt Spence and Shannon Hannon Olivero. And we're here today with JJ Burton from ABC Action News. Thank you for joining us today, JJ. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Good. Good. We're doing good. Stuck in the house, away from Corona. Yes. <laughs> Corona and mayhem and masks, and we're all comfortably in our homes, uh, interviewing through Zoom <laughs> today. So, JJ, um, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, obviously, uh, Tampa Bay knows you from ABC Action News, and uh, but you, this isn't um, your first stop. No, no, uh, I came here from Tulsa. I was in uh, Tulsa for three years, and then before Tulsa, I was in Savannah for two, and. Um, I spent like some time in Kentucky after I graduated college and from Kentucky to Savannah. I'm from uh, Connecticut. Well, I'm from Connecticut and Georgia. I was born and lived most of my life in Connecticut, but when my parents um, divorced, my mom and I moved to Georgia and I was there from like ninth grade to uh, until I graduated. Yeah. I'm also from Connecticut originally. Okay. Cool. <laughs> what part? I was born in Norwalk uh, and then I, um, I also okay. lived in Bridgeport. Okay. Um, born in Waterbury, and uh, we moved to was it Well, it's all basically the same because yeah. Wilkett is right there. So. A very small state. <laughs> it's like a, thirty minutes to get from one end of the state to the next. Yeah, <laughs> we were probably neighbors. Exactly. <laughs> so, how'd you end up in Tampa Bay? Um. So I was in. I went to Tulsa because it was with a cock station, and I, I loved the company. And I went there to get to Orlando. And I came to Orlando and did my interview and got the job offer. And then the station here emailed me, Matt emailed me and was interested in my work. And I was like, I'm not going to go there. I got this job in Orlando. But then one of my frat brothers was having a party here. So I used that interview to, so I didn't have to pay for the ticket. And then when I went into the station, it was just like, because at, at my last market, again, I loved working for Cox. It was a great company, learned a lot. But it was just weird coming here from there because I'm walking into this newsroom and everyone's smiling and happy and they're not like overworked and they're doing one story. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> so that's really what sold me because I was only coming just for the party. And I was like, I'm just going to go to Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> if you're coming into your building over at ABC, it's definitely a um, unique vibe. You guys kind of have a uh, family uh vibe that goes on there from producers to management to other reporters um it took a lot to get used to i was i was like this is like because i mean nobody is really happy and in, in tulsa it's like i mean well, you are happy but just like every day and like they're all smiling and it's not like the like in tulsa we would get like like hives and just fear for just <laughs> pitching stories and you got to pitch two stories a day and do two full stories run your own live shot edit and shoot all your own stuff. Then I come here and it's like, yeah, just this one story. Do you mind if we give you a vote side at three? And I'm like, yes, go ahead. <laughs> so it's, it was definitely, I was just like sold from the from that interview. And it was, because I'd already taken, uh, accepted the offer in Orlando and that's what just switched it that one day. Wow. Well, I'm glad we saw you. It's good to have you here. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty thrilled to have you here too. I work with you pretty frequently, yeah? <laughs> yeah, it's, yes, yes. <laughs> Since uh, I think like I started like doing a lot of the stories after the shutdown. Yes. Yep, yeah. That's when we all met you, I believe. Um, most of our leadership. I know Matt. Um, you've done some interviews with Matt before, and 
Uh, Ev has definitely worked with you, even though you don't know it. All that B-roll request. And then I, I met you when we did the, the what was it, Uber thing? Yeah, Uber Eats deliveries. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So you, you <laughs> have, have met all of us under our uh, our roof. Um, so, well, and I think you can feel it that you you have the ability to explore a little more. And I wonder if if that's coming from the kind of vibe at ABC that they give you space to discover new things and not have to constantly be on the wheel of pitching story after story after story. Yes, sir. That that's definitely yeah, that. What's what's in, like? I get to do a lot of stories with you guys, which in my in again, and I don't want to sound like I'm bashed because I did love my experience. <laughs> it was cool. But the thing is, like, it was always like hard news, crime, 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 crime. And then here, and I'm pitching like feeding Tampa Bay stories and and like these stories about like race cars drivers, and they're like they're they're loving it. But th that would never happen in, in in Tulsa, never, or really any cop station because it's all about like hard news crime like we were it got to the point in toes we were doing stories about like stolen cigarettes from oh my goodness from walmart in packaging so like it's definitely here they're more um relaxed and loose when it comes to like the certain things like they're okay with doing a story about the mermaids that i uh, was at wiki watching Watch, and i remember yeah. watching a reporter story with my girlfriend in tulsa and i was coming from our interview and i was like this is so stupid. <laughs> about mermaids. What's going on? And so just getting out of that mindset to here, it took about a year. But yeah, like they definitely let us do multiple different things. It's not like always crime stories, which is good. And it's the balance. Yeah. And you know the community a little better. Yes, yes. So what's what's been your favorite story? And you know, we know that you're gonna say feeding Tampa Bay. So let's <laughs> outside of the feeding Tampa Bay world for a minute. And what's um, been some of your favorites in Tampa? Because uh, here, let me see. I would probably, I don't know. Feeding Tampa Bay, like, it, there's not, like, I'm trying to think. Maybe the, um, the, the, the protest stuff, just because, like, I don't, I've never really, we, we, we had a lot of, like, things in, in Tulsa um, when, like, this guy was shot by a deputy and there were a lot of protests. But this is the first time on a scale of where they continue. Because, like, there, there was, like, a protest that Saturday and then maybe Sunday, but it was all done, but like the continuous of this. And so just going out and just covering that, not necessarily like the burning stuff down, but just that experience I would say has been the most sort of impactful. Mm. But yeah, but like favorite story overall would have been in Savannah, like, because we used a backpack. There was this casino ship stuck in the middle of the uh, ocean. And so this is when we just started using backpacks and I caught like this, I, I did a story like months after, months ago with like the CETO with the, they tow the boats. And then I called this guy like five in the morning. It was like, my boss wants me to get a boat and get in the water. And he, was, <laughs> he came and did it. And we were just live out there from, I think 7 a.m. all the way to about eight because it was just like continuous coverage. And we were just, and it was just the, 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 just the amazingness of the backpack and being able to be live in the middle of the ocean on this boat was cool. And that was actually my first uh, Emmy as well. Wow. So, that, that was, so yeah. Wait a minute, first Emmy? Yeah, well, well I actually just have one. Um, <laughs> I've been nominated a couple times. So, so I should say oh, my okay. first Emmy nomination. Oh, that's <laughs> very cool. Anticipating more coming, right? Right. <laughs> Hopefully. So, so that that is inspired another question for me. So, what what is it about getting an Emmy? Like, how are you nominated? Tell us about that process because um, 
I find that very interesting. So I probably won't win anymore because I won't submit. So when in, in Savannah they submitted it, the station did, and 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 um, I think over the last like after that, a lot of the well, news business is basically trying to just save mu as much money as possible where they don't pay for them anymore. But the station in Savannah submitted it, and um, in Tulsa I was nominated once because it was like that first year when I got there, and the station submitted it. However, now it's all up to us, and it's like I think. It's like five hundred dollars total because you also have to buy a membership oh, wow. and stuff like that, and it's like I gotta pay to probably be nominated, <laughs> and probably win, and then pay for the trophy. So I'm like, I'm offset on that. But like, that's how like it used to be. Like when they would pour money into the stations, that they would pay. But now it's usually you know the individual pay for the submission. I don't know about here. I don't think huh. that. I think that I think they do pay here because we haven't gotten any emails. But you know when any time comes up, because that's when like our desk would just send all these in, in Tulsa and Savannah send all the information like this is how much money you need to submit. I'm like I'm not paying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you should have to. That seems. I a don't little either. That's why I'm like I just. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America, a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. Yeah, so now that you're getting settled in Tampa Bay, uh, I would love to hear just kind of your feel about our community, some of your favorite things, places to go, places to eat. What do you love about Tampa Bay? I love the beach. I love the. I love that there. And there's multiple different beaches, and I love to jet ski. So I'm like, I always go to. I'm at least at the beach like once a week, because I just and and, I, and I'm talking to people who like live here, and I'm just, I don't understand how you live this close to the beach and not go at least like four times a month. So like that. That's <laughs> that's my favorite thing about it. Um, and also just like this is the biggest news market in the state. But it get it it feels again more relaxed. Even though like I feel like our station is is um it's relaxed and which is cool. But the other stations also, I don't think it's like as like hardcore. Of course it's competitive, but not like hardcore like in Tosa we used to go up to the other like the other people we would interview and we'd be like, Don't talk to this person yet. Wait till wait till after their ears. So here it's more fun in in a way and, and sort of just like like we we, we, we are actually not with you know, it's not like we're fighting a war. Really, we get along, so I, I like that, and I like that it's not just heavy crime either. So it's like this scene from Anchorman with the trident and all that. That's <laughs> 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 my image of Tulsa. It's the and, and like sometimes they would be like, and if you're all on a story, like this one time we one of the first stories I covered in Tulsa, this guy um, standoff with this kid, and it, it was like a. I think like 24 hours, actually 48 hours. And then finally he comes out, but then the, he killed the kid inside. Oh, wow. And we learned about that on a press conference, but there was another station that got like, I guess an interview with a neighbor. And so like when stuff like that would happen and they would have that, like the like you're called into the boss's office and they're like, why didn't you get this interview? Why didn't you do this? <laughs> yeah. I can barely get on air. So, but, but like here, it's just more, it's, it's the management here definitely isn't as just, um, like they're not breathing down your neck and, and they give you a little bit of freedom. Yeah, it's, it, it kind of sounds to me like a reflection of our community. We're a little more laid back in general as a community, you know, far more flip-flops than work boots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. It's, it's one of the things I love about here. I, I grew up here and, you know, 
love a, a variety of beaches as well. But if you had to, if you had to pick one, what's your favorite beach? A Madeira Beach, because it's it's so peaceful. I I was like all about Clearwater, but then like one spring break, and everybody here is like, no, it's just too many people. <laughs> yeah, one spring break, I'm just like, I'm all set. Madeira Beach. <laughs> I like Longboat Key too because I just like the water, like the water down there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. See, I would have to say Longboat Key, Anna Maria Island. Those are, that's my, uh, that's my spot. Ed, what about you? I like Passagrill because of the same thing. It's very, uh, it's low key. There's lots of parking. It's not overcrowded, and then you can go to the wharf for uh, lunch right there, like on across the street. So. <laughs> I, agree. I I grew up spending a ton of time on Clearwater Beach, but it is not the same thing as it was in the 90s. And so you know, I have a sentimental attachment, but not the same desire to be there. Uh, I've even migrated north a little bit, and we love going to Honeymoon Island. Uh, yeah. Causeway has a lot of good uh, places to do kayaking and stand-up paddleboard and uh, jet skis and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's my spot. And in fact... I'm missing it right now because my <laughs> wife and my kids have my puppy out of the dog beach out there. <laughs> I was going to say you could take the puppies out to Honeymoon Island. It's got a great area to take your dog out there. So yeah, I've done that many times, many, many times in my life. So we're all about food. You know that, uh, JJ. So a couple of things about food. We can't go through a podcast without talking about that a little bit. So you know, you grew up in different areas in the country, north and south. So for your family, um, what is your favorite meal around the table? Maybe family-wise and then for you and your girlfriend. Um, lasagna or like stuffed shells. Pop. My my mom cooks a bunch, like just Italian food all the time. So yeah. <laughs> something with pasta, yeah. And my, uh, Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> like, it's crazy because we would like have these grand uh, plans and 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 go eat at like you know like this nice restaurant and then we're like we should just go into the cheesecake factory. So yeah, I love it. I love it. So just go is, on it, there. is it the cheesecake factory because there's 742 options, or <laughs> kind of or just like the food is just? I think it's just because we know it, and it's so crazy. Like we would, like we went. Uh, Given this was in Tulsa, and, and like some restaurant, and like I got like, the, and then I'm like, oh cool, get lobster, and I'm like, oh it's the market price. I'm like whatever. Then we get it back and like two hundred dollars, and I'm like, I could just go on a cheesecake. Factory. <laughs> 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 I like all of the day. So I think it's just like just the familiar, like the familiar of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I'm sure that's the same with, with the home-cooked food, too, is the, yeah. the familiarity. You know what you're going to get. You know what the taste is going to be. That's, that's something we talk about all the time on this podcast, just our, our favorites because they're things you can go back to. So tell us about your mom's Italian cooking. It's um, she like lasagna stuffed shells, spaghetti. Like You will get that at least five times a month. <laughs> <laughs> and it's usually just like quick and easy. Um, but and that's when she cooks. My mom doesn't do a m much cooking. She is now though because of the coronavirus. So she's staying home and she's yeah. like posting all these pictures on on Facebook. And I'm just like, since when do you cook all this food? <laughs> Have you Where also? Did you oh, sorry. Go ahead. She, she's in Georgia, um, and my, my dad is in Connecticut. Yeah. My dad's actually about to move to Virginia. He's mm -hmm. retiring and and um, moving south. He wanted that's to nice. move to um, Florida, but my stepmom was like, no. <laughs> oh, there you go. You didn't hear about the beaches? 
She she likes Virginia Beach, and the thing is, and it's so crazy, like living here, and then also living in Savannah and going to Hilton Head, and because I was a big Virginia Beach fan, and now I'm just like that beach is trash. And I'm like, I would never want to go there. <laughs> I, I have extended family in Virginia Beach, and I can't do it. It's just <laughs> that beach is a mess. <laughs> the sand is terrible. The it's not a fun place to just kind of wade into the surf. It's, you know, it's crazy. Like, I like, loved it. Like, we would go there every year, and like, that was it. And now I'm like, I would never go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it's just even the Gulf Coast. Like, if you are raised, like, Matt and I have were raised here in Tampa Bay, and we're, I mean, we're Gulf Coast people. Like, if you go to the other side of Florida and you stick your toes in the water, it's like, oh, no, I got to go home. I mean, this is old stuff. The water's not even that good. <laughs> so you, you and you're from Connecticut. You said so. so do, uh, did you ever go to Musquamaca? No. So I moved here when I was pretty young, and I, I go back like usually like once a year, but usually just to the places I used to live. Yeah, and that was my my Connecticut uh, beach was Musquamaca, and my dad would and we would leave. We were leaving. He always stopped at the like Mohegan Sun or Foxwoods on the way back. <laughs> in the car while he goes and gambles. <laughs> oh my god! Come on. Yeah, yeah. My grandma was really into stuff like that. She any kind of casino she could find, she loved it. <laughs> just like, come on, can we just leave? Right, I right. So happy when I got <laughs> like never again. Yeah. So, well, I was going to say, actually, you know, you mentioned that your uh, your mom was doing a lot of cooking during coronavirus and being at home. And, you know, have you picked up any kind of new hobbies or, or, or anything in, in your time uh, under lockdown? I mean, I know you're still in the community doing reporting, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like eating ramen noodles and hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because I don't want to go grocery shop because I don't want to go in the store. No one has masks on, mm-hmm. so I'm the, and, and just like I, I do go to the beach. Like again, I, I go jet skiing a lot. I actually bought a jet ski back in uh, uh was it November? Nice. So I, I, I do that most of the time, and then uh, work. Mm-hmm. And that's it, and stay in the house as, as much as as much as possible. Has that affected <laughs> your work a lot? I mean, you know, obviously, if you're out in the community, I mean, has that uh, has that kind of changed the way that you do your job? Yeah. Uh, so again, a lot of, and even like a lot of our stuff, most of the time now is online, like Zoom interviews. Um, but then when we go and do interviews, you've probably seen the reporters with the long poles and the sticks, not to get close to anyone. So you got that. And then the the masks that they have as man, like mandatory, which it's most of the time, if I'm doing an interview, I never really have it on if I'm on TV because it's just like, you can't hear. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, so, so it's that. Um, and then on top of like the extra like security guards that we have with us because of, so it's all at once because of like the protests and stuff like that. But most of the, the most changes is, and our, our hours are now also like we're 10 hour days. We have three days off so they can have more people working longer just in case something happens. But mm. yeah. yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking at the end of June and it seems like I've noticed a weariness about lockdown, about, anything to do with coronavirus, wearing masks, like you said, you know, I wonder if you've seen the same thing I have. I've seen the the roads getting a lot busier. I've seen, uh, you know, kind of a lack of sensitivity around the fact that this is still a pretty dangerous thing going on. I I don't think there's a lack of sensitivity because I don't think anybody was ever, ever cared about it. I don't think people <laughs> even care. That, and that's like, cause, cause like yeah. even like when it was, everyone was then protesting cause they wanted to go outside mm-hmm. and now it's like, well, we can go outside. So I don't, I don't think anybody, and there's a lot of people that we interview who still call it a hoax. 
Oh, <laughs> still say people aren't dying. Wow. And there's several like who insist that it's a Democrat's plan to take down Trump. Mm. And so I don't think that, I, I don't even think, I just think people still just, they didn't care in the beginning because they didn't believe it. And I think that that goes back to like, our leaders who didn't take it serious. And then also like the doctors, because one day you're on the news and and they're like, wear masks, then the next, the masks don't protect you. And then it's, <laughs> oh, these type of masks don't, but wear these. And then it's all oh, the masks, we're all masks. And now it's mandatory. So I think people are just like, like over it. Mm-hmm. And it sucks because I feel like it's gonna be more deaths before people actually start taking it serious. Well, I, I think that's the hard thing for a lot of folks is that they, they just don't know where to turn for information they can trust. And I'm sure that's something that you think a lot about as a reporter. I wonder how you approach that. Um, I try my hardest just to say it's not political, but people, because it, because the the thing that I've learned mostly like over the last four years is that no matter what you say, people are still gonna like people hear differently for some reason, and they don't just hear what you're saying. So I don't like because you have people who believe that this is serious and they're going to continue. And the other people who don't, and they're just not going to change. And so, like, when we are interviewing someone who's like, "Well, this is stupid. This is, this is, this is political, and this is the uh, what is it, the the fake media or the elite media or something like that." So I just like shake my like at this because I'm just like tired. I, I don't want to argue. So at this point, I just ask the question and I just go on because there's, there's, no matter what, they're still going to believe what they want to believe. And and I think that that that's also the biggest issue because it's so the virus is political and and everyone's thinking thinking of it as political instead of thinking of it as humans are dying. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, and I think it also, it it created a really unique situation that was then set on fire by all the the issues around George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and and everything else that went on, Breonna Taylor. And uh, so I I would love to hear your thoughts, having been out there with the protester on the ground in the middle of that. it's it's first of all like, I feel like we're gonna need a, a history book for the first six months of this year alone. <laughs> um, it has been a kind of I think eye opening, shocking, and, and then then not shocking. And the, the most shocking thing to me again, like I said, like when I was in college, I don't know about you ever or even you, Matt, but like when I was in college and something would happen and we would protest like millennials we would protest maybe once or twice and then we're done like this is it mm-hmm. like but these kids the fact that they keep protesting and that's every day and for the most part they're organized it's it's sort of it's pleasantly shy, pleasantly shocking i sure. guess because and, and you know and it's and, it, and and they're not getting too i mean of course blocking traffic you know but they're not getting like it's not every day where there's a fight or there's something attack like they're you know getting their point across which I kind of am proud of and, and, and congratulate them on that aspect. But then you have the people who are out there doing that, like burning buildings down. And it's like, come on, man. But the worst, like the, the, the hardest thing is trying to convince the people who are burning stuff down that it's hurting when it's hard because then you have, then you see that after the police station was burned down in Minneapolis, then the officer was charged. So I do, I hear like a lot of like black, especially young black kids and the ones out there protesting. It's like one guy I interviewed, he, he was saying, they're just showing us that we have to destroy the world to get justice. 
and that that that's the that's the hardest thing because it's like and again not not except aside from like the champs and all they did that Saturday they haven't gotten too out of hand but I think if something doesn't change and if like our leaders don't try to somehow make every make it possible for police to treat everyone equally I think we're going to see more like especially more black kids and even like, there, there's a a lot of these are being uh, organized by by white kids as well white young folks so I, I think you're going to see a lot more people getting out of hand because it's like okay like like the Breonna Taylor one that's the worst one for me and uh, uh, like that first of all the first thing we're looking for was in jail already and they went to the wrong house and Brianna's the EMT yeah. and neither her nor her boyfriend ever got in trouble that's the worst one to me and the officer hasn't even been charged so and, and so so those so those people in uh, Kentucky are looking at it like, oh, they burned the fire in the police station down, and that officer was charged. So that, I think that's the, the 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 problem that I think I see. It's like you know, you the they keep giving, they keep showing minorities that in order for you to take notice and 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 treat us right, we have to do some awful things like burn stuff down. Florida Blue's mission is to help people and communities achieve better health. In partnership with Feeding Tampa Bay, their collective goal is a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. How will we do that? By ensuring that all our neighbors have access to fresh, nutritious food that is essential to a healthy and capable lifestyle. We invite you to join the movement. Visit hungerfree2025.com. How do we turn that around? How you know? Do you have any thoughts on how there's a better way for us as a society, not feeding Tampa Bay, not JJ Burton, but just as a society to listen to people in a different way so that we don't get to that point of folks feeling like they need to destroy. You know, there's a, it makes me think of a comment. One of our team members went to a conference and they came back with a comment that's just really stuck with everybody, which was don't, judge the choices I've made until you understand the options I had. And if we've limited options to that point where people are making those choices, my, you know, my perspective is how can we go back and open up options? But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, like, I, I don't really know. I guess like maybe in school, when kids start going to school, just a class specifically on like, you know, you got the home ec classes specifically on teaching because the teaching the kids growing up about like everyone being equal. And because and, I think that that's the biggest issue because you have the cops who there's there's some cops who perfect example, the guy who uh, was it Dylan Ruth who shot up the Charleston church. They caught this guy. He killed multiple people and they were able to take him to McDonald's or Burger King on the way to lockup. But then you have the George Floyd, the guy, and this was over a counterfeit bill and he was dying. So it's, it's sort of like, it's uh, it seems like, in not all instances, and, and I will say that I don't think I've ever been in a situation where I feel like a cop has, and I was tell, talking to you, Shannon, that I've actually, yeah. I've experienced some somewhat privilege, but it, it seems like there's a lot of cops who, with black people in general, they're already scared and they're ready to take them out as, as opposed to, so I think it's just like something that starts like in school, like elementary school on up, sort of like a requirement of just teaching kids how to just be, how everyone is literally equal and every, you know, like, I don't know how you do it, but, but, but that way. 
Yeah, that, it's interesting because we have, you know, both in Clearwater and in St. Petersburg, they have a policy for police officers called park, walk, and talk. And so they have very specific plans and instructions for their officers to get out of their patrol car, get to know their community, have those conversations. You know, if kids are shooting hoops to so just go ahead, put down your gun belt and jump in, you know, and uh, and just have those conversations. And it feels like that has has kept things more peaceful around here. You know, we, um, St. Petersburg has been one of those communities where they've had peaceful protests, I think every night for the last three weeks or something like that. It's been- Twice a day. Yeah, and, and, but they've kept it fairly peaceful. You know, there've been a couple of clashes, but for the most part, for the vast- People are listening and people, like the leaders are listening. Like that will definitely acknowledge that. Like they're, there's already stuff that they're changing. And, and so everyone's listening for sure. Yeah, Mayor Kreisman and Chief Holloway, you know, they've done a great job of being out there personally. And, you know, we have folks from CPPD who come and support us at our weekend mega pantries at Tropicana Field. And really, they're there for traffic control, you know, because we're putting a thousand people through a parking lot and then putting them, dumping them back on a main road. We want to make sure everybody's safe. And just being able to chat with those guys, you know, they feel as frustrated as everyone else because it's not them. And yet that uniform and that badge create this negative feeling for folks who walk up to them and and it's really tough for them to know their own way out of it i totally and and as a reporter i can i i empathize with that because it's sort of the same thing with us like like we're out on these protests and you have the protesters who invite us and they hate us and don't want us there. You have the cops who are mad because we're there and then politicians who are like, we're twisting the truth. So it's like everyone coming at us and, and it's like maybe one or two or CNN and Fox News and then everyone thinks we're all CNN and Fox News. So I totally, it, it's, it's, I get where it's difficult for a lot of officers who are like good people and really there to do right and and then that one bad person is a reflection on you all which is which is i think is like a, just a an a, 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 a american issue i'm pretty sure like even with feeding tampa bay you might have the same type of experience somewhat the same type of situation or something like that where it's like one bad person and then everyone's like well all of feeding tampa bay is bad <laughs> or yeah, just think, food banks yeah the situation i would compare it to for us is that Almost any elected official we talk to, or even a lot of donors will say, well, don't people abuse the system? Don't people take food who don't need it? And it's such a minuscule percentage. You know, are there bad actors? Of course there are. Any place where you can get something for free, you're going to have people who take advantage. But the benefit of what we do so far outweighs any tiny bit of taking advantage that it's not even something we think about internally very often at all because we we know putting food on people's tables for the 1.7 million people in our community right now who are struggling is is worth whatever tiny little bit of waste there might be and and i have to think 700,000 police officers around the country look at it the same way and you know probably millions of peaceful protesters have that same perspective. Yeah. And you know, the, the the worst elements are the things that we seem to talk about. True.
I think everyone always focuses on, like even with the news, everyone's like, y'all always doing this, y'all always doing this, these type of stories. And it's like, well, when we do a story about good people, the one watches it and our ratings go down. (laughs) And I always say like, well, you're the reason this, they see the ratings and this is what you want to see. That's the, that's the, 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 like the worst part about it. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying about, a uh, you know the, starting with start, starting with kids starting young, you know how do we build up in in the early years a desire to see the good things, a desire to learn about what's best in our community, a desire to hear you know those happy stories, and that's the way. You know, uh, I feel like that's a big part of the way forward is seeking the good as opposed to seeking the sensational. Or good people. There's there's not enough good people, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Like, there's so many people who are just like, especially this year is what like that just like selfish. Um, like the people who don't want to stay home, or, or the people like you get people who have no choice; they have to go to work. But then there's the folks who are like, oh, we want to go to the beach, so we're going to protest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to drive in our cars and wear masks. I think that that's the problem. Just like people, just uh, there, there's not enough. I guess when you grow up and you just sort of just get jaded or something. Cause I, I, I grew up in a, um, when my mom and I moved to uh, Georgia, an all white neighborhood and the school I went to all white, I was the only well, one of two black kids in the school. And I, a lot of the times as a kid, I sort of just ignored a lot of things, but with school and my friends in class, it, there was never, a, I cannot think of a moment when like the kid was like, oh, this is the only black kid in school. <laughs> or like, or like at, at least not from elementary, like probably like in middle school a couple of times, but like elementary school, we were just all playing together. Like it never dawned on me until like I would then go home and then hear my my, my mom or stepmom or my grandma talking and just like, well, you know, you're the, and, and, and of course they have to give you those talks because it, it is different. But in school with the, uh, one of my best friends whose name was Tyler and we would always, we, his, I, I never went camping until we moved there and his family would take me camping and we would go bowling. So it was, it's sort of a thing like when we, when we become adults, then we start to notice it because now I see myself and, and I don't know if it's just like because of covering the news and then we're all what's been going on the last couple of years because now I'm like talking to my nieces and nephews and I'm like, well, you know, you are not, you. <laughs> like I'm doing the same thing that was done to me, but it's like as kids, you don't even notice that. So that I think as much as like we need training, we need probably something for kids in school, but maybe the adults need it more. And, and I just, how do you, how do you do that with adults? Because we don't even want to wear masks to save lives. So. Right. <laughs> maybe the adults need to just sit back and watch the kids. <laughs> Get out of the way. Stop making it worse. Exactly. <laughs> Cause we don't naturally create those divisions, right? Those divisions are artificial. And so that's been taught. And, and that's exactly where, you know, I, I hear you really clearly that, it, you know, I look at my, my boys, I, I don't even think they could tell you how many minorities are in their school because they just don't look at people that way. Right. It, they're just, they're classmates and they're buddies and they're, you know, this is the one I want on my soccer team when we play at recess, or this is who I like eating lunch next to. It's got nothing to do, hair color, eye color, skin color, it doesn't matter. As, as a kid, when someone's, I'm like, I totally believe that because, like, of course, you, I didn't even look at it. But then again, and as an adult, it's just like, well, let's acknowledge. And, and I think, too, just like a lot of black people, 
also want the space or, or want to have the, the the space available to be able to say like these things happened racism is a fact instead of and, and black lives do matter that do matter is the actual two to that and not saying that no other life matter but and I, and, and there's just you know like, like if some of those if some of the people who don't understand that could just sit down and listen to black people talk and actually just listen then maybe they could understand that because a lot of this because like when because when you you hear them like well all lives matter no they don't <laughs> because if they did this wouldn't be happening black lives black people feel like they don't matter and they just need to just get out of your own way and shut up and listen to the issues and listen to why this is being said then there could be then things could possibly change but I just, I honestly don't believe that it ever will, though. I, I, I just, I don't, there's always going to be something else or someone out there that continues something, like, which is, the, I guess for me, like my, my grandmother always just says, you just got to make sure you're you're doing, you're treating people like, you know, you want to be treated and, uh, and, and hope that you change someone that way. I think, you know, part of, uh, you know, as, as a person that's in media, like I think, Part of the importance of your job is sharing the stories about how things are still happening. And, you know, you mentioned how this uh, movement has been something that carried on longer than like when you were in college, like you said, where it was like a weekend reaction. And I, you know, I'm curious to know how much you think that has to do with like people personally recording this stuff and sharing it, you know, people sharing that firsthand experience. And a lot of what you guys in media do is, is share, you know, is share like, this person sent us this, this was their recording, you know, um, you know, I think that that's probably an important part of making changes, showing what is happening, you know, in real time in, in, in our, in our time. I agree. Yeah. Like Twitter and then, you know, people recording everything is what, what's going on there. And then I just also think like the new generation or the younger generation, half of them are smarter. <laughs> they actually care more. They, I, I really do that. They they care more, and they are, and they're just like they're they, unlike us who are or or my generation or like even baby boomers who were like the if you don't say anything like my mom or, or a lot of like my my aunts and uncles and it's like if you don't say anything then it'll go away. Like these kids are just they no we're gonna say something and we're gonna we're gonna change. And I I, I, I feel like that. Like there's I, I do I feel like they're smarter and they care more and they are also they have each other's back as well. Like I'm out there with these protests and I'm just like they are actually you can tell that the feeling is there. So I think that's what it is. And I think that's also what more so than like the fires and things like that, a lot of the actual good like leaders who we have are paying attention to that and seeing that they care. Cause I mean, like they, like it is a hundred and something degrees and they're out there. Like I'm out, I'm like, can we not, can we do this at night or something? <laughs> like, they are, like they are not stopping. And that, that that's like, cause I, I mean, like we, I forgot what it was that happened when I was in college. It was something. And like, yeah, we did like a march on campus from one end to the next. And then ne the next day we were supposed to do it. And like four people showed up and we were done. <laughs> like, this is not. Yeah. Yeah. Ev, you said something I think is really interesting and important for us to, to talk about, which is if we don't acknowledge where we are, it's really hard to move forward. You know, that's a universal, when I think about strategic planning, when I think about coaching, when I think about teaching, one of the most important things is an accurate assessment of what is. Because I, then you can build a plan to move forward. And I believe if 
And like with history class, I knew about, I learned about the race riots in high school. I went to school in Georgia, which was where it was taught there. But I also believe like if these things are taught in school, because we would be acknowledging them. The, the other thing that's happening on top of all this is that we, for such a long time, we were taught about Christopher Columbus and how he discovered America and he was great. And then as an adult, it's like, wait, really? And, or when you hear George Washington owned slaves and fought to have them. And, and so we like, if maybe also, maybe it's not even a special class. We just learn all of this history in school, then more people, you know, they're going to grow up with this information and sort of have the, the ability to understand why things were the way they were and how to change them. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I think a really important part of that is, um, you know, you mentioned like people who say all lives matter and the people who are kind of opponents of what's happening right now. And I think that one of the things that I've learned in, in reading and watching everything that's going on is the way that people react to the word racist. You know, um, it is automatically this sort of accusatory uh, feeling. And when we look at like the history of like George Washington owning slaves and things like that, we can acknowledge that that's something that's racist. Um, but I think that when people hear that term and they hear that it's still happening today, they think it's the same thing. But it's, you know, it's really just the idea that people are being treated differently based on race. And I think that in the modern day, a lot of the reaction is, well, I'm not racist. And it's like, no, 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 you personally know, like you're not, you don't hate people of color, but the, the environment that we're in still has some racist undertones. And that doesn't mean that everyone in America is a bad person. It's just like Matt said, something we have to acknowledge about where we are in order to move forward from it. And you yeah, know, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. And um, there's and a lot of the, the, the people guilty of that too are also black people ourselves, you know? Yeah. I, I know there's moment, there are moments in my life where I'm just like, just calm down, relax. You know, this is not that big of a deal. Like, you know, like just to be unproblem, to be unproblematic. And, and there's a lot. And then when you, and so you have all of the, and you have a lot of white kids out there protesting with the black kids, but then you have some black people who are just like, this is stupid. Go sit down. This like, let it go. Like, you know, y'all don't get upset when there's black on black crime. Right. Right. Uh, this isn't helping. <laughs> like if we could all be on one accord, maybe also we could, move something yeah right yeah it, it just feels to me like if we could widen the aperture you know not it's not taking away from what we learn but learning more learning what's going on around it on the sides and in looking at you know just kind of taking the camera and turning it so you know 180 degrees and i think about just even you know growing up here st petersburg i think is a perfect example I grew up in Pinellas County schools, public schools, and I had a great education. I'm, I have no regrets about that whatsoever. But at the same time, it wasn't until I was an adult and working in the social services field that I really began to understand the history of St. Petersburg. Why is the trop built where it was? It seems like a really dumb place to put a stadium. This is the Buck Stadium. I'm always confused as to why it's there. Down, <laughs> down. Right, and you know, why did two? Why does two seventy five take such a weird curve through South Pinellas County? You know, and and when you learn the history of of what land they could get and cheap, and how they treated people around that, and redlining, and all sorts of the twenty second Street district, and you know, it's just there's so many pieces to it that if we knew our own history, I think we'd have a very different perspective. 
maybe people will care more. <laughs> you know, like even even with like the coronavirus, it, I it 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 showed me like multiple things, and one of the most important things is just you know how how kind and generous some people are, but how selfish most people are as well. Just like ah, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My my favorite analogy for that is so simple, but after I heard it, I can't unhear it. Is uh, like, are you a good member of society or not? The best test is the shopping cart test. <laughs> after you're done at the grocery store, do you just throw your grocery cart up there and make somebody else come out and get it, or can you walk the extra thirty feet and get it where it's supposed to go? There's no actual benefit to me personally to putting it where it's supposed to go. I can prop up the two wheels on the median and get out of there and save myself 30 seconds or am I a good member of society and am I willing to take that extra minute that doesn't benefit me, but benefits everybody, right? It reduces the costs at Publix because they don't have to hire people just to walk <laughs> and collect parts from all over the place. You know, it, it saves everybody time and energy and money, but it doesn't personally benefit me. But am I willing to take my shopping cart where it's supposed to go? Am I a good member of society? Mm-hmm. That uh, the cart, and uh, as well as littering, like when I'm on the highway and I see someone throw something out of their window, yeah. I'm just like, uh, like why? Just yeah. go to the point of that. Like you're driving anyway. Like that. Uh, that like annoys me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same. Likewise, I'm very that kind of stuff drives me nuts. <laughs> Like you literally had to let your window down. <laughs> You're driving. What is it like? What is it? What is it bothering? You know? Yeah. 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 More work to be a bad person and make <laughs> than just <laughs> get to the gas station or get to home and throw it away in a garbage can. <laughs> what are you doing in your car? Like you just can't. Like come on. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, I know, Shannon. That you know, one of the things you'd want to talk to today about was the 20 days of Tampa Bay that that we're doing with ABC Action News. So maybe we want to talk a bit about that. We do. JJ, why don't you let us in on what's going on at the station? How you guys so, are making it awesome. So we, so I did a story, and I believe our donations got, went up a little bit from, from that story. You can go to our website, and um, there's a, you can click on the – You can, actually, the, it's on the main page, and it's um, – 20 days of uh, Tampa Bay and you can click on that and go and donate. And there's been a couple people who donate. I know that uh, actually a neighbor of mine, who I guess just realized that I was a reporter and I was walking out. So I saw your story and I went and donated and you can donate anything too. But, but I think like, was it 20 to a hundred or so? And then you can click on there. You can put in a dollar amount as well. It's really, yeah. that, 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 that also, what's interesting there is seeing that we are getting the donations because in those lines, you have people who normally donate, but they are struggling now too because of uh, all that's going on. So, you, so when you see that people are still donating, that that sort of does restore some of your 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 hope and, and humanity because it's like most of the people right now you have those lines are with an old beat up ninety eight to a Tesla in the, in the line. That's because everyone is is, is struggling. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And so what it is, is it's an online food drive that ABC Action News is um, really committed to 20 days. Uh, JJ is doing stories, Sean Daly, uh, the producers, uh, Robert Boyd. So we have stories going on for it's we're in our second week, closing out our second week. We're going strong next week and we're actually doing kind of a modern version of a telethon on July 2nd. 
where uh, we're all going to be asking people to please give what they can. Um, every donation matters because, of course, at Feeding Tampa Bay, we can maximize those dollars and provide groceries for our neighbors in need. Um, we are actually uh, providing 2 million meals a week throughout our 10 county radius. And of course, everyone in those 10 counties uh, can tune into ABC Action News and uh, see all those amazing feature stories that are going out there. Many of those, which JJ has been a part of all the way since the government shut down in January of 2019. So you've been an amazing friend to us and really the community telling the news in the moment and uh, the good news too that's going on in Tampa Bay. Um, I will. I noticed that when I do some of the interviews, interviewing regular people, that they don't realize exactly how much feeding Tampa Bay does, and how you also supply food for the little pantries on top of what you all do. So that that that's been a sort of a, a eye opening or or shock to some to some people. Yeah. So you know what? There's one last question I want to ask, and we haven't. What is your favorite part, or what is the most? Uh, Amazing thing, because you've been at our 80,000 square foot warehouse, which now we've had to procure 15,000 more square feet, right? Because we're so busy, right? Um, what is what is like your thing? What is most amazing to you at Feeding Tampa Bay? I liked when I went and did the, what was it? The Winn-Dixie thing at the time, that, that sound Publix, when the shutdown happened and how you guys were opening that up, like a grocery store, to yeah. those who were impacted, that that was like because you were also still helping people, but giving them an opportunity to go and actually go shop like they're shopping themselves and opening that up was that that I love that story and that really was like cool to me. Now, because of COVID, of course, we have to be safe. You know, we are you know putting groceries in folks' trunk, but you know we look forward to the day where we can again let our neighbors shop with dignity and choose the groceries that we have available, whether that be shelf stable fresh fruits and vegetables, um, or dairy or meats. You know, I really, I don't know about you guys, but I look forward to that day again where we open that Publix community market and we're able to uh, cook things on the Charlie cart again and have people sample items that they've never had before. Man, I can't wait for those days. And also I can't wait for the day when um, we move strides closer to equality because uh, I know that I had a friend when I was 11 years old who really impacted me and made me realize that we are all the same and uh, her name is Tangela Webster and I'll never forget her she's my friend today and uh, one of my very best and she changed my life so um, I can't wait till there's a day where all of that um, is the norm for all of us. So, JJ, you're a good friend, and uh, I am glad you crossed my path in January of 2019. Um, we rely on you at Feeding Tampa Bay to tell amazing stories. Thank you. A quick last question I would like to ask you. Are you guys shocked? Were you guys shocked at first just the number of people in these lines for the drive up? And just because for me, it was like really shocking. And then when you see like the cars and you talk to some of these people and it's like, I had this amazing job. I never needed to do this. And that sort of just like, was it at first like really shocking? I, you know, I'll jump in and, and give you my perspective on that because I, what it did for me was put all the statistics and the, uh, you know, the things that we know about our community and how close people live to the edge, it put it into individuals and faces and names. 
in a totally different way because, you know, we're out there, we've been out there doing the work directly with folks for years and years and years. And, you know, <laughs> at the public's market, you've seen us out at Trinity cafe too. And there are always lots of people in those lines, but to see, you know, 250, 300 people is a lot, but to see 3000 people in a line to see people willing to wait for hours and hours just to get a box of groceries, it really did hit in a different way. It hit me personally, just how, how precarious so much of our life is. And, and to see people that never thought they'd ever ask for assistance. See people who used to donate, like you said, now asking and putting a hand out. Uh, man, that's humbling. It is so humbling to see the depth of despair that that came on really, really quickly. Yeah. It's it's it, and it's and it's just like my my mom always like growing up and my and my dad just like you know finances make sure you have savings make sure you have savings and it's like i've been calling them like thank you because i just think like there's so many like a, one of my um frat bro brothers who just got laid off and had no savings and it's like it had a great job but no savings and that that's like the biggest you just even though people are bringing in six figures if you don't have anything back that up and the six figures stop then it's it's like kind of hard well, and it's terrifying because it's not, I, you know, I'm sure in your frat brother's case, it's not anything he did wrong. He's still making all the right choices, doing <laughs> things, you know, setting himself up for success, earning a great paycheck, and something totally outside of his control sent his world tumbling. Yeah, and for, for me, it's, um, what are we, we're about 90 days. Yeah. For me, it's been really... Um, emotional meeting all of the people you know we're out there every day um not only those that we serve but um very inspired by working with the team that i work with every day you know from we are putting we have been putting in all of us a number of hours um you know you have to realize that you know we're, we're 100 plus now but our original 90 from you know, those who drive trucks to our warehouse team, you know, almost seven days a week for 90 days. Um, we are, I believe, emotional beings, so we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. And it, there's been a lot of tears and um, we're just all very rooted in uh, making sure that people have food on their table. And it's been just a, a privilege to work with everyone at Feeding Tampa Bay and stand with them in the heat and the rain and, uh, just being able to be here and be a part of this has um, been a privilege. I guess it's really no other way to say it. It's it's a bittersweet thing that we're able to do this because, uh, of course, we wish uh, we would move on to another job, you know. But um, we get this done, and it's it's really important work, and uh, it's it's a great team to be with. So, and including those who help us tell our stories. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, I think as a, as a sign off, you know, we have to thank you, JJ and ABC Action News for helping us to uh, 
um, you know, kind of share our story and, and help the community find the support that they need. Um, and just for being there by our side during all this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, welcome to our weekly segment, What the Food Bank, where we kind of uh, delve into some of the topics that we talked about on the episode. Uh, we just had a great conversation with JJ Burton from ABC Action News. Um, and now we have joining us our CEO at Feeding Tampa Bay, Thomas Mance. Um, Shannon, if you want to kind of introduce what we're going to be talking about. Hey, Thomas, welcome to Stick a Fork in It. Uh, we were wondering if you could kind of let everybody know uh, what's going on with Feeding Tampa Bay. A lot of it has been going on in the community with protests and uh, Black Lives Matter and a little bit of unrest uh, across the nation. And we just really wanted your insight on what's happening under our roof at Feeding Tampa Bay. Uh, thank you, Shannon and Ev. It's uh, wonderful being an esteemed guest on your show. Uh, Matt, thank you for having me. Um, I think when we look at the issue of uh, what Feeding Tampa Bay does, when we look at ourselves organizationally, we are very aware that we're in the social justice business. The provision of food and resources, jobs, benefits, connections to uh, training and services are all about creating social justice so that everyone in our community has equitable access uh, that many of us enjoy on our own, but many others don't. Uh, but we're also very aware that in the work that we do, there is significant racial injustice in what we see in our community. We know that folks of color, black folks, will often have a much different economic circumstance than a white person will. Even folks who need our services, there is a significant uh, disconnect there as well. Uh, we're aware of that, and that's an issue that needs to be discussed, addressed, and remedied. Um, we also are very aware that issues of race affect how we do our work and with whom we do our work and how we go about what we do. Uh, we have a significant makeup of our organization is uh, of color, uh, black and brown. Uh, and we know that the issues of race affect how we get along with each other, uh, but also how we interact with the community. Um, so some of what we want to do is to make sure that we address this topic on all of those fronts. How do we have the best possible organization that represents, understands, and works through issues of color in our own, inside our own four walls? How do we manage issues of color and race when our colleagues go out into the community to do the work that they do? And then how do we address the issues in our community of color? Because we stand in the middle of all of that as a social services organization. And so all of that is a pretty large undertaking, an important undertaking, and not something that's going to be done in five minutes. Now, we're committed to this issue over the longer term. There is a process to be followed here, not a slogan to be written or a t-shirt to be worn. And the very first part of that is let's listen. So we've brought in a company, Community Tampa Bay, who's considered the best in our community to help us make sure that we first and foremost build out a process that allows us to approach these issues thoughtfully, carefully, with uh, an appropriate pace and an appropriate depth and an appropriate awareness to the issues that are in front of us. But the very first step is let's make sure that we listen. And so we're going to start by having listening sessions internally, and then we'll move uh, from there. Uh, but what I think is important to me and is important to us is that we are very aware and very clear that this is an issue of race. 
uh, and an issue that needs to be addressed. And our organization is an issue that our organization is a organization that is committed to justice for everyone. And in this moment, in particular, people of color. And so uh, it's a long answer to your short question, uh, but it's a topic that uh, the time has long since passed uh, that we address it. So, Thomas, I want uh, to dive in a little bit to some of the early conversations we had because, um, you know, as, as events started to unfold within the past month, we saw sneaker companies and deodorant companies and fast food chains coming out with, you know, all sorts of different statements. And I think it's really valuable for folks to hear how feeding they choose to approach it differently. So I'd love to hear that from your perspective. I think, you know, Matt, I know we had a lot of conversation about, you know, the issue of making sure that our response to this uh, latest uh, tragedy, but really this ongoing national tragedy, was to not short shrift it by saying, let's just go out with a statement, as you said, by sneaker companies and all that. I think all change happens from the inside out. So let's make sure that internally we feel good about what we're doing and we're addressing our own organizational uh, opportunities, priorities, uh, developing our ability to have proper conversations, uh, making sure that we're addressing whatever concerns we have. I think from my perspective, Matt, um, we can't preach from a mountaintop until we make sure that our own uh, conduct is what we want it to be. I feel good about who we are as an organization, but there's always ways to improve. But I think also it is way too easy to throw a slogan at something and consider yourself done. And that's not who we've ever been organizationally. I've lamented from moment to moment, from time to time. And, you know, Ev, as a man of color, you may have an opinion about this, but I've lamented whether we should say something simply so people know that we care. But I've always believed that the best way to let people know that we care is by doing something about it. Uh, and so it's um, always an uneasy decision, maybe. Uh, but I just always want to err on the side of making sure that we have integrity. And integrity is built out not by statements, but by actions. Yeah, you know, as we talked through it, the thing that was in the back of my mind that I really guided how I approached our, our internal conversations um, was something that comes from my faith background, but I, but I think is pretty universally applicable, which is, uh, you know, the, the idea that we should preach the gospel at all times and only if necessary do we use words. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, a, you know, uh, one of my, you know, mentors in life always used to say to me, you may be the only copy of the Bible someone ever sees, yep. right? And I think, you know, again, I understand the context that we're offering these comments. Many people may or may not be Christian, but I think it's important for us to live into the responsibilities that we have as opposed to tout them. I'm, Matt, I'm happy, I think, as all of us are, that there is as much outrage as there is, there's as much awareness as there is, uh, that, um, that, that the protests that are taking place are thoughtful around the conversation. I, I think all of these things from our opinion, from my opinion, from a social justice perspective are important. 
Uh, and so when a sneaker company, to use that example, makes a statement, at least they're keeping the conversation alive. But because our role in the community is so important, and because we are a fulcrum for a lot of different connections, I think it's really important that we understand the weight of that responsibility. Uh, because we have to be right about this. We have to be right for those we serve. We have to be right for those we serve alongside. And we have to be right for those we work with. And so there are three groups of people that are looking to us to make sure that we step thoughtfully into this. And at any given time, all three of those scare the heck out of me and worry me greatly. Uh, because sometimes they feel like they're all in, in alignment. And sometimes they, they feel like they're very disconnected. And I don't know how to keep all of them together comfortably. Uh, it's the hard part of, of social challenge and social change is not everybody goes at the same pace. Uh, I, I have to say, you know, um, as regarding like making a statement and showing support, I think that the most important thing that any of us can do right now is to learn personally. And I think that it's something that um, is more likely to affect long term change than just a statement of support. And I also think that one of the reasons why Feeding Tampa Bay specifically is in such a great position to um, kind of have an effect or, or really what, what helps us with understanding is that daily interaction with people who do struggle. You know, we have a much more personal connection with the people that are in our world than, say, a sneaker company or, you know, a restaurant or something. Um, you know, we do get to hear the living stories of what these people go through and why and we learn that history and i think that um that's why it feels more important to us that everyone on our staff is aware of that and that you know the practices that we use internally and the way that we interact with our um community is uh is so focused on on learning you know and and sympathizing you know um i think that that is what does affect long-term change and and i think that that is you know, they're the right approach to trying to make a change. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, you know, we've, we've practiced, we've built these muscles over a long period of time around the concept of treating everyone who comes to us with absolute dignity, uh, honoring who they are uh, and, and being there in their moment of need. And it was really tempting to go out and flex that muscle and I'm glad we didn't do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think, Matt, as, as I said a moment ago, for me, and I think all of us on this call are aware of this, but as, as I said, I think we have to understand it's those we serve alongside, those we partner with, and those we serve. And each of those groups is very different. I sat in a driver meeting yesterday, our first listening session, where one of our drivers recounted the story of he covered another colleague's uh, route. Uh, on a particular day, and the colleague he covered his route was white, and the gentleman that spoke was black. And he talked about the treatment he got from the stops that he made and how it was very different, he knew, uh, from the gentleman that, that served that, uh, that route on a different day. And he gave several examples of that. And you listen to that and you think, well, what, what do we do about this? This is not okay on any level. And so, you know, your immediate reaction is to want to take care of the colleague, but we still have to serve the community. And how do we, how do we manage that? Because I looked at that driver and felt horrible. 
you know, I think I, I believe very strongly that everybody in our organization, and I, 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 I'm sure there's someone that may differ in this, but I, I feel very strongly that everybody in our organization, Matt, is exactly as if you cut us all open, the thing that we would have in common is our desire to serve each other and our willingness to uh, embrace everybody. And I think those are the things that are the hallmarks of our organization. Um, uh, but how do we live with a driver that has to go out into the community and be treated inappropriately for the color of his skin? That can't be. But how do we also serve a community that is uh, uh, long been marginalized by race and now has significant economic disadvantages as a result of it. Uh, this is why I think uh, for us at Feeding Tampa Bay, we had been looking at the issue, as you all know, and Matt, you know in particular, we have been looking at the issue of social justice for the last 18 months. Uh, and so we've been working on this issue for a while, trying to figure out what is our footing in this place? What is our role in the community? How do we step into this? Uh, the events of the last 90 days and the horrific deaths that we've seen and treatment of, of, of you know, not just Mr. Floyd, but many others mm -hmm. uh, has sped that process up, I hope for the good, uh, that it allows all of us to move into this more quickly and more appropriately. And, and I think most critically at greater depth, you know, because we can't continue, and I hope, just as we saw with the Me Too movement several years ago, which I think shifted some conversation around equality of access. And we saw a terrific amount of, of women run for office, which was fantastic. Um, we've even seen the kids that came out of some of these uh, mass shootings that have done some really important work together to say, we want to talk about you know gun violence. I think we see hopefully the same level of uh, investment in the conversation of race, uh, because it's long past time for that to happen. How we move ourselves in it, through it, to it, um, it's the work of not what will be a moment, but the work what will be at least, for, I know, for the duration of my tenure with the food bank, but I hope it's a conversation that we have uh, for as long as it's necessary to have it. I think that's a really important point, too, is that it's not something that you just do when it's done. You know, um, it's not something that you just do when it's relevant either. You know, I, I hope that most people in America, not just corporations and not just white people, anybody, I think it's very important to always be learning and always be open to hearing yeah. about experiences that aren't your own always. Yeah, and I think I think, Matt, one of the things you're talking about and I the allure the attractiveness of political expedience is great. <laughs> I mean, it is like a drug. You know, you just, you can come out with a statement, you can say something and you can suddenly say, okay, I feel better about myself. We feel better about who we are. Boy, that is just, uh, uh, and I pray, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of prayers, I have, I have the same prayer every day when I pray about work. God help me to be a good leader and a good servant my prayer every single day um, and they're difficult truths to hold together and they're difficult challenges to hold together and I think Ev to your point I pray to God that we remain an organization that will always uh, a be honest with itself and b learn yeah and I think you know I, I want to echo everything you just said because you've been a leader who's steered us away from that cheap quick high 
and to the deeper change. Um, and just that's the reason we wanted you to come and talk about this with What the Food Bank with us, because it is a commitment. It's a commitment over time. It's a commitment at depth. It's a commitment of our leadership and every level of our organization to, you know, walk forward seeking justice and seeking equality and equity and, you know, to, to be better about what we do for those we serve. Thank you. And thank you for having me on your uh, podcast. I know that it's a coveted invite for many. <laughs> Uh, and it's quite a great, uh, great honor to be here, but I appreciate y'all exploring this topic in depth. I think the thing I love about this narrative form is it allows us to have a conversation in a way that, uh, brings other viewpoints in and connects us and collects us. And, um, uh, it's a terrific piece of work and, um, I'm proud that we do this and I'm proud that our organization has you guys leading this for us. It's, uh, it's an important, uh, I don't know who hears them and who who, who uh, follows them, but it's important work that we're doing. So thank you for that. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, giving us your thoughts and your insights. And uh, we will see you back at the warehouse. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay. And you can learn more about the 20 Days for Tampa Bay virtual food drive by visiting abcactionnews.com.